0: I don't know how everyone out there is feeling, but for me, the world feels like it's coming unglued. Flood, war, racism, a country divided, and church drawing battle lines. I'm tired of it all, so tired. Just how should the people of God respond in this time and place in history? And honestly, where is God in it? While our current situations feel unique, it's really not. Historically, things seem to have always been a bit of a mess. Let's go back a little in history today. How about the U.K. in the 1300s, where over a period of years the plague wiped out three-fourths of the population, and the church, it had vastly competing views as to what was the truth. Let's go explore the life of Julian of Norwich. On her assumed deathbed, she slipped into a coma. Last rites were about to be read, and during that time something happened, a 10-hour encounter with Jesus, and she had questions. Born out of the hellish time which she had been living through, she brought the hard questions, where are you? Do you care what is happening to your world? What she experienced in that coma was so strange. Yet so profound that she spent the rest of her life working with what she was shown. Her experiences survived, and what is the first book penned by a woman in the English language? Two works a short version, Revelations of Divine Love, and a long version titled Showings. Our guide today into the life of Julian is someone who spent years with these texts Mimi Dixon. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovari Weekly
1: Podcast. Do you want me to start with the actual context for her? Because I I think, Nathan, that the relevance for us with Julian Norwich is um, that most of us, when we're exposed to the holiness of God, the contrast between God and ourselves is overwhelming.
2: Mm -hmm. So.
1: Many people, if they're in a safe environment, they'll talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. If
1: they're not, they'll just hope nobody finds out.
0: <laughs> yes, let's start <laughs> there. They're
1: just, that they're a hypocrite, you mm-hmm. know, that that they're um, projecting an image that if people really knew what they were like, if they really knew the kind of thoughts that went through their mind, if they really knew the stuff
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: that they would... Conclude that God must be as disappointed in them as they are in themselves. So it's it's Paul in Romans fifteen or Romans seven, starting at verse fifteen, where he's talking about what I want to do I can't do, what I don't want to do that's what I always end up doing, and I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> so <laughs> he then concludes to say, "Thanks be to God, the answers in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and there's no condemnation." Well, he of course. What Paul is saying there in Romans 7 and 8 is really the heart of the showings.
0: Mm-hmm. The showings were, uh, this is the book that was written as a showings, but these were a 10-hour vision that happened on the deathbed? Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: And, and her mother was there and the priest came back and then left again because they couldn't figure out. She was comatose, essentially.
0: Got it and then throughout her life was working with what she saw during this time and and writing it out. Got it. Okay.
1: Julian lived in a particularly harsh period of time. It was during the 14th century. She lived in Norwich, which was a port city, the second largest city in Great Britain, the other being London. And it was right during – she was born right after the Hundred Years' War, so there was terrible suffering in England at that time. Now, Norwich was a little protected from some of that because they lived right on the banks of a river and right on the coast. And so all the commerce that came over from Europe made it a very, very wealthy community. There was okay. a lot of trade that took place. What nobody knew is that the rats that came over from Europe mm-hmm. brought with them in the form of fleas, the Black Plague. So, when Julian was just nine years old, that's the first time that the plague came to Norwich, and it came six different times during your lifetime. Hmm. The fact that, that she was living with her mother at age 30 when the showings occurred, this ten hours of conversation with Jesus, is really based on the fact that she didn't know what to think about it. What was being preached in the local churches was that it was the time of Noah and God met to do away with them because of their sin. Hmm. so there was a lot of fear there was a thinking about god as being vengeful and dangerous and that he was just going to wipe them out so it was a very very difficult time and
0: so the culture of her day the religious culture of the day said this is the plagues have come this is it we're getting wiped out yeah okay it's
1: because god is angry mm-hmm. so julian and i and the black plague was horrible People would start swelling up, and their skin would turn black, and in a week they'd be dead, so the streets were piled with with people. So in it lasted, the first epidemic lasted three years. By the spring of 15, 1352, when she was nine, 50% of the population in England had perished, and in Norwich the population was much higher. Three-quarters of the population of the oh city goodness. were simply gone. So, throughout her youth, the, fra- the plague framed everything. It was like a living nightmare. Mm-hmm. In, six, in 1362, when she was 19, the plague returned to Norwich, and it would be 500 years before they figured out what was going on and finally stopped the plague. But in the second, when it came the second time, 1st time when she was nine, seven, second time when she was 19, second time when she was 19, 23% of the population was killed at that time, targeting elderly and infant infants who had not developed immunity mm-hmm. through that, were not part of the quarter of the population that had survived it. So when she was 6, when she was 19, when she was 27, when she was 33, when she was 41, and when she was 45, six times during Julian's lifetime, the plague ravaged Norwich. Mm-hmm. Every time taking the lives of the most vulnerable. Mm. Um, I said it wasn't overcome for 500 years. I was wrong about that. It was really 300 years. So here's Julian in an environment where three out of every four people are gone. Mm -hmm. The city is devastated. Everything is paralyzed. Nobody knows what's happening. And there was tremendous fear. Now, Julian scholars believe that she was probably married and had children. Mm-hmm. But when, she, when these showings occurred at age 30, she was living with her mother, just the two of them. Okay. So the assumption is that her family had probably been killed, everybody else.
0: She would lost her kids, potentially.
1: Yeah, her husband, kids, everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. So... Julian was curious to know how does God really see us because the teaching... Now, the Franciscans were wandering around in Norwich as well. They were preaching a God of love. Hmm. She had a God of love here and a God of vengeance here. All the images in the church, all the depictions on the walls were of hell and people suffering and crying out in agony. So Julian was very curious to know how does God see us? What is the cross about? um are are we doomed and she was also very afraid of death what happens at death
2: mm-hmm.
1: so when she was 30 she fell ill and her mother assumed that she was succumbing to the plague like everybody else so she called the priest and the priest would go with a little bell through the through the streets. So whenever they heard the little bell, they knew somebody was dying, the people would. Mm-hmm. So he came in with a crucifix, he did last rites, he, he told her it was time for her to confess. And as he was doing that, she she wasn't immediately dying and he had other people were who were, so he left the crucifix with her and went. Mm-hmm. It was during that time. Julian says that she couldn't breathe, she couldn't move, and she was focusing on the crucifix of Jesus, and suddenly it came alive. Mm. And the room went away, and there she was, just inches away from the passionate Jesus dying on the cross. And she could see the blood and the crown of thorns, everything. So the, when people first pick up Julian and they read that description, it can be pretty off-putting. Mm-hmm. What Jesus was doing, though, without saying anything initially, just looking at her, they maintained eye contact as she watched him um, be desiccated like like a grape becoming a raisin. Hmm. All the life draining out of him, and he kept looking at her the whole time as she watched him dying. um,
0: This is the vision she had on her supposed deathbed. Yeah, that's
1: where it started. Yeah, okay. And then Jesus said to her, "If this weren't enough, I would have suffered more for just you." Mm. So the way that it opens, this is where the showings uh, when people look at that, they say, Ooh, that's very graphic. but if you continue on, the question that was in Julian's mind and the the heart of the of the showings is about sin. How can God stand us?" And what about all the effort that we make to try to be different, try to be better, to try to be sorted out, and it never works? Is God disappointed in us? Will we be eventually condemned to hell? Mm-hmm. Which was the specter that was hanging over Julian all the time. Now, my first exposure to Julian was when I was on sabbatical in England, and I spent Two weeks, just reading and rereading and rereading the showings. I had a spiritual director. I was in a hermitage, so it was a, it was an isolated situation. And my spiritual director talked to me about what I was experiencing as I read Julian. And my I felt like I was sitting in on this intimate conversation between Jesus and Julian. And she was asking my questions, mm. and she was she was communicating my dismay. Mm-hmm. It, so everything that was happening between Jesus and Julian, I felt like it was—I was part of it. I was sitting there, and I was. She would ask a question, and I'd say, "Me too." <laughs> so it was very personal. I wasn't just reading an ancient document. I felt like I—I I was pulled into this space, into that same quiet, isolated space
2: mm-hmm. that Julian
1: and Jesus were in. And they just moved over and made a place for me to sit with them, and I and I listened mm. and wept and questioned how what Jesus was telling her could possibly be true. Mm. So the whole thing about the showings is it's um, it's dealing with the question of unworthiness, and for anyone who's who's and all of us as apprentices of Jesus, when we're drawn into the presence of the holiness of God, we're undone. We're like the prophets in the Old Testament who throw themselves down and say, I unworthy, unworthy, depart from me. I, I I can't be in your presence. This is going to destroy me because of my unworthiness. <laughs> so dismay, fear, um, Frustration was the context of, of this conversation. And Jesus met her in this, elongate. he didn't hurry it. He didn't give her some profound word and then rush off to something more important. He just sat with her for 10 hours. Now, most of you say, what do you know about Julian? They'll say, oh, that, that pithy, cool little quote will <laughs> be well. But-
0: also be well quote.
1: But people leave off the first sentence. Yes. First sentence is, sin is inevitable, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. Mm. Now, when Jesus told Julian that right at the very beginning of this 10-hour period, of this 10-hour conversation, she received it for a moment, and then she said, The only way you can say that is if you're not paying attention Mm. because we're dying here. Mm -hmm. Our world world is dying here and everybody says it's coming from you. So Jesus then begins to unpack it and he keeps. Yeah.
0: Let me just pause. So she's looking around the world, all this death, and she starts with this. The word of sin is inevitable. But yet in spite of that. All shall be well. Yes, and, and then she goes on to kind of question that.
1: Yeah, because she's like she's like in the dump, mm-hmm. she's in a sewer, she's surrounded by death. That's she smells it, she sees it. The air is full of it, and people are staying indoors. Anyone who survived because they may be exposed. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Everyone is isolated and in despair. And here's Julian. she's in that context she's she's in the dump she's in a she's in a cemetery, and she says, "Are you doing this to us? Is there any hope? What's happening? I don't know how to think about this And he says, "This is not me. Mm-hmm. When I look at you, I love you. I died on the cross to absorb in myself." all of what they're attributing to the wrath of God, all the judgment, everything, I drew into myself, you saw it with your own eyes, you watched me draw it in. Mm-hmm. And so he says, that takes care of it. And she says, but it doesn't take care of it. Look, look, mm-hmm. see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And she says, it. She says if you knew, she's so great, she says, if you knew what sin was going to do, why didn't you stop it in the first place?
2: Mm-hmm. You're God,
1: you could have stopped this. You could have stopped all of this. Why did you possibly let it happen? So she starts right out with those questions. And right there, I was hooked. (laughs) I just said, yeah. Why didn't you do something about it? Why did you let this run? So then what Jesus does through the showings is he starts trying to draw her out of the dump and pull her up to where he's standing to see what, what he has done how it changes everything, Mm. how the resurrection changes everything. And she keeps pulling him back down to the dump. She keeps (laughs) saying, that's not helping me here. What about this? What about the suffering? What about the death? What about the power of sin to destroy? Mm -hmm. And she keeps trying to pull him down, and he keeps pulling her up. So he gives a series of examples. The first thing, the first illustration is himself on the cross, his own suffering, to say, I understand what you're talking about because I have I've been there I've I've been to hell You're living in hell now. I've been there too. Mm -hmm. I know what this is I'm not discounting it But I'm telling you that there's something bigger and more light and more true that surrounds that reality and is going to change it forever Mm -hmm. So the first thing he does the first illustration is Jesus on the cross, which like I said is is so graphic that many people just stop right there. They just say, not for me. <laughs> if we push through that, the very next thing he does is he has this, uh, he tells her to pick up a hazelnut. She has a little mm-hmm. a little hazelnut. So he tells her to pick it up and to enclose it in her hand. Mm-hmm. And then he says, this is how I hold all of creation. hmm Closed in my hand. Nothing happens that's apart from that. I've got you. And you've got to believe me when I say sin is inevitable. doesn't have the last word. It's not that powerful. It's already been undercut by my presence. All shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. Mm -hmm. So so Julian is trying so hard to, to picture that. She's got the hazelnut in her hand. She's thinking about it. And really... You know that's not doing it for her. Mm-hmm. It, the loss is too great, the dismay's too great, the smell, the senses being filled with death all the time she she can't it's it's not doing it so then Jesus says, "All right, let me tell you a story. It's a story about a Lord and a servant, mm-hmm. and here's this servant that just loves his master and his master loves his servant. They just have this really close relationship, and the servant's always watching. What does my master want? He tries to anticipate it and then do it. Mm-hmm. Well, one day his master gives him a job. So the servant rushes off to do the job, and he's, he's running so fast because he's so eager to please his master that he doesn't see it, and he falls in this hole, a really deep hole.
2: Okay.
1: He's hurt. So now he's in the hole, and he's hurt, and he realizes he can't get out, and so he rolls up into a little ball and starts berating himself that he didn't see the hole, that he didn't avoid the hole, that he's the kind of person who's always going to fall into a hole, okay. and for a better person, that would never happen. He's filled with dismay, and Julian says there's seven things that he's feeling while he's down there in the hole, Meanwhile, he's so occupied with his, with himself, he doesn't see that the master has run to where he is, and now the master is leaning over the lip of the hole and looking down at him, full of compassion. Are you okay? Mm. But he can't hear it because his his head is full of his own voice, berating himself. Well, anyway, Julian saw that in short version. She took notes about it. When she was in the anchor hold for 20 years, trying to understand what Jesus had shown her so that that would be the foundation of her thinking.
2: Mm-hmm. Who
1: is God? Who am I? How does What does God see when he looks at me? What is God inviting me to do with my life? How is he inviting me to be present to what's happening, realizing that it's going to be sorted out? This isn't the last word. So while she was busy locking in this whole new way of thinking, replacing her thoughts and dismays entirely with God's truth, Mm -hmm. she reflected at at much more length on the story of the Lord and the servant. So she did sit with these things later. But in that 10 hours, that still didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She was just, why didn't you stop it? How in the world? If you, okay, so if you've forgiven us, what about when we sin again? Do you forgive us again and again and again and again? How come we're not different than this? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Her questions are very contemporary, right? Very contemporary. So Jesus finally says, "All right, I, I think I, I think I know how to how to help you understand the heart of the Father, the heart of the Trinity."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he says, "Okay." Now, this is where I think there's probably some true, real, real basis for her being a mother mm-hmm. and having not been able to do anything to save her children because that's the illustration that Jesus uses. He says, I am like a mother. You are like my child. Mm-hmm. And when you're hurt, my heart goes out to you. And what I want more than anything is not for you to run away from me until you're, you're okay again. I want you to run to me as fast as your little legs can carry you, and I want you to jump into my arms and let me hold you and comfort you. That's how we feel about you, Mm. dear, worthy, and we love you. David Benner um, says that what keeps people, when they've had an experience of God, what keeps them from allowing that to completely reformat their hard drive, their Mm -hmm. brain, is is our dismay or our issues or our pain and suffering. He says that those things, even when you have a profound encounter with God and he reveals his truth to you, that it's hard to hold that because these other things keep pulling you back. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see in the in Revelations of Divine Love. That's how it was renamed later, from Divine Showings to Revelations of Divine Love. And Julian was so... Um, Marinated and immersed in the suffering that was happening around her and in her, that it was she was very resistant to being able to see this, hold on to it, and lock it in. Which is what's so amazing about Jesus is that he spent these ten hours with her. He kept he kept providing and it's like this, it's like this, it's mm-hmm. like this. I, I suffered and died for you. That took care of the sin's power. It has lost its power to destroy. That's the first thing he told her. And then he said, I surround you, the bond between you and me, the wall of light that surrounds us cannot be penetrated by evil.
2: Mm-hmm. You're
1: safe and secure in my in my hand. You are safe. All shall be well. And then he says, The Lord and the servant, when you fall down and you feel like you've just you're just not the right kind of person that you've tried and tried and you just can't do it. That what happens is God is leaning into our pain and our suffering and saying, "Are you okay? How can I help you? Mm-hmm. You're not. You're not lost. You're not abandoned. You're not horrible. You are my beloved." Jesus um, called Julian dear worthy. We are mm-hmm. dear worthy. Mm-hmm. I just I just love that. So, and then finally though the thing the analogy and most most people most human beings that are healthy can relate to how a parent feels about a child right you do anything anything for them and you it and it has nothing to do with their behavior mm-hmm. it is just plain the way it is so he moves from from the cross this is taken care of it this is why sin is no longer an issue mm-hmm. between you and God. It's no longer, longer an obstacle. I've got you. I see you. I care about you. I'm pouring toward you. I'm concerned about what you're going through. And the way I feel about you is the way a parent feels about a child. I don't want you to think about what's happened. I just want you to run to me. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know that I am waiting for you to turn to me. I'm waiting to love you. I'm waiting to comfort you. Now that's kind of the heart of revelations of divine love. And then you one of the questions that we've talked about is what do we learn from Julian? Julian feels like a, a, a friend, a spiritual companion, because I resonate so so closely mm-hmm. with her questions and the way that Jesus so patiently helped her think that think it through and as i said she spent 20 years with those 10 hours thank god she did and wrote it down and then it was the manuscript was found in a monastery and and it it got out finally but i have a couple quotes can i just share a couple quotes please the cause why we are so troubled with these sins she writes is because of our ignorance of love to this knowledge, we are most blind, for some of us believe that God is all power and able to do all, and that He's all wisdom and knows how to do all. But that He is all love and will do all, there we stop. Hmm. This ignorance is that which most hinders God's lovers. There persists a fear that hinders us because of paying attention to ourselves and the sins we have done in the past. We do not know how to despise the sin of self-hatred as we do others' ends which we recognize. That's good. That's pretty powerful. And then here's a couple other things Jesus says to her about, about sin. He says, Without warning thou shalt be taken from all thy pain, from all thy sickness, from all thy distress, and from all thy woe. And thou shalt come up above, and thou shalt have me for thy reward. And thou shalt be filled full of love and bliss. and Thou shalt never have any manner of pain, nor any manner of sickness, nor any manner of displeasure, nor any lack of will, but always joy and bliss without end. Why then? should it bother thee to suffer a while, seeing that it is my will and to my honor. Hmm. Let me be all thy love, my dear worthy child. Occupy thyself with me, for I am enough for thee, and rejoice in thy Savior and in thy salvation. For all this life and this languishing that we have here is only a moment, and when we're taken out of pain into bliss then the pain shall have been nothing. Wow. Of course, it takes us right back to Romans 8. Hmm. So then she concludes by saying it is God's will that we accept his promises and his comfortings as broadly and powerfully as we can receive them. And he also wills that we accept our waiting and our distress as lightly as we can take them. And pay no attention to them, for the more lightly we take them, and the less value we place on them for the sake of love, the less pain shall we have in experiencing them, and the more favor and regard will we have because of them.
0: Mm. So she's being shown this picture, I mean, essentially of eternity, and that all the suffering, all the mess that's around us, it's it's a split second. Hold on.
1: <laughs> yeah. This
0: will feel very small soon, uh, even though it's all encompassing.
1: Uh, yeah. It will, um, then the pain shall have been nothing, she says. Now, Paul says that. He says that we can't compare the suffering now in, in Romans 8 2 to what will come later. But it's even more, it's even more than a glimpse into a future, the new heavens and new earth. It's really, with the hazelnut, it's really God saying, this is, the future's now. Mm -hmm. The future's now. So how do we live in the light of knowing it isn't just something we anticipate and have to wait for, but it's something that's present to us now. So she said, he told me to be careful what I focus on. To take our waiting and our distress, as lightly as we can take them, don't pay any attention, because the more lightly we hold them, the less value we place on them, knowing that God has us, Mm -hmm. he's present in it with us, then that's going to enable us to be in a situation that's pretty distressing and have a completely different perspective of what's really happening.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So really, Julian... Is of, and her experiences and writings are of great help for us in the suffering we face.
1: Yeah, because she's dealing with the questions that, that everyone does, looking around and seeing at the world, what's going on in the world, and international threats and everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's a tendency to wonder, where is God in this? If God can prevent it, why doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the message that Jesus gave Julian is i am not somewhere else i'm right there and i'm leaning into it and i'm present to you in it and the reality is don't look at don't look at the view from the dump
2: mhm
1: look at the view from god's perspective of how he he's saying this is the reality that's happening here don't get distracted hold this hold the dismay lightly and trust me mhm mhm It's a very, very, very contemporary word. Here's another thing. This is right at the end of showing. She says, God does not will that we busy ourselves greatly about accusing ourselves, nor does he will that we be full of misery about ourselves, for he wills that we quickly attend to him, for he stands all alone and waits for us constantly, sorrowing and mourning until we come, and he hastens to take us to himself. For we are his joy and his delight, and he is our cure and our life.
0: Mm. That's good. Really, much of this ends with trust.
1: It's how a child, when you see a small child, maybe a two year old or something, with his mom in a group of people, what he does is he goes behind her, puts mm-hmm. her between him and the strangers, and hangs on to her legs. <laughs> And maybe we'll peek around the side. We've all seen it. Mm -hmm. And the mom's hand is behind and touching the kid's head, you know, it's okay, it's okay, and kind of smiling at the uh, other adults while this kid is really uncertain and hiding. Mm -hmm. Or a child that falls down and is hurt. It's inconsolable until it has its mother.
0: Mm. So is that the picture for us, hiding behind God's leg?
1: That's the picture that Jesus gave Julian, and after that, she stopped asking, what about sin? Because now she goes, oh, (laughs) that if my child said, you can't love me anymore, you can't love me anymore, what would a parent, a mom or a dad say? They'd say, oh, for heaven's sake, get over here and let me hang on to you.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you for telling me what was in your mind. How can I show you that that would never ever happen. Nothing, nothing can ever separate you from my love. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Which, of course, is where Julian's showings are right there in Romans seven fifteen through the end of Romans 8, Romans 8, 31, or whatever it is. It's all there. It's this doxology of Jesus saying, if you only knew, but... The Father and Spirit and I have given you an analogy that you will understand. Mm -hmm. We have created parents with children so that you would understand our heart. This is how we feel about you. Mm -hmm. And that is the heart of the revelations of divine love. That's the message of Julian. Mm. Run to me. Be like a child. is run to me. I'm not going to reject you. You won't find disappointment etched on my face. You'll see me weeping because you're weeping and holding you and rocking you and saying, I know, I know, I know, and you know what? It's going to be okay. Now, we say it's going to be okay, and we sure hope it will be. (laughs) But when God says it's going to be okay, we can take that to the bank.
0: How do you work with this analogy as a person who's never had children?
1: Well, I think it's part of being human that you love. hmm And I think that there is something remarkable about being a parent where somehow in, in God's amazing, creative love and power and presence, he makes us co-creators with him, not like him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. And so you have the opportunity, a mom, this little life is, is growing inside of her, and as a father, you just say, I will do everything in my power to protect you. Mm-hmm. I will throw myself in front of a train for you. I think that these are deep, deep human emotions that we all experience, whether we've had the opportunity and pleasure of being a parent, mm-hmm. or whether we have been a person in whose heart God has lodged others, where we feel where the love God gives us pours out so easily and so generously without you don't think about how much it costs. Mm-hmm. And if somebody mm-hmm. said, "Well, you is that kid? What a drag!" You would be appalled. You'd say, "I don't, I don't even understand how you could make a statement like that. It's mm-hmm. so far from the reality of it."
0: Mm-hmm. I was talking with Kai, my eleven-year-old. We were doing this "I love you more" bit, you know. Yeah. And, I, and and I said, "Guy, I can I can end <laughs> this discussion right now." He's like, "You can." I, "Oh yeah, it's really easy." <laughs> I said, "Would you die for me?" And, and he, "Well, I mean, uh, you know, he kind of um, and I'm like, my- "I got no hesitation. I'm right there."
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, that's that's it. So, I was talking with somebody who was who had come in to talk to me about how they just couldn't get with the whole love of the father thing. How do you deal with suffering in the world? You know, it was Julian's question. It's the human question. <laughs> and I said, well, can we put, put that on hold for just a second? Let me ask you, what was the most awesome moment in your whole life? Can you tell me what that moment was? And she didn't even hesitate. She didn't even have to think. She said, it was the birth of my son. <laughs> and I said, tell me about it. And she teared up and she talked about holding him in her, in her arms for the first time and looking into his little face and, and counting his fingers, and they were so tiny. She said, I, I can't even begin to express to you how I felt. She said, I had some ideas about what it would be like, but I was so surprised how visceral it was and how I just thought I would do anything mm-hmm. for this little person. I would do anything. She said, "I it, it's unlike any other form of love that I've ever experienced, ever. And I and I said, you're never going to forget that, are you? And she said, no. And I said, how old is he now? Of course, I knew. And she said, 13. And I said, uh It's a good time to remember that. <laughs> and she said, she said, but you know what? It's never really gone away. Mm-hmm. And when I look at him, even when he's doing stuff, that I just think, oh, brother, where'd that come from? Mm -hmm. this is not who you are she said that that she said that's funny because I often will say I know who you are and I don't think you have to worry about that because you're dismayed you know that's not who you are either right and so I said now let's get back to your question about God and her face clouded over and she frowned and she looked confused and disconcerted and I said Your Abba, your daddy, feels just like that about you. Mm -hmm. And she she was frowning, and then she started thinking about it, and she tilted her head, and she said, I had never thought about it like that. It makes so many things clear. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. What would you say to people who did not have parents that give them a frame of reference for God's love? or who've not had kids and don't have that frame of reference in the same way.
1: It just doesn't feel beyond, beyond my grasp to imagine that. I know that people have had terrible experiences with parents who were wounded and who had never experienced a love that they in turn could pass on to others. But one thing that I'm absolutely sure about our Heavenly Father and, and our Lord Jesus is that they find ways, which mm-hmm. is so powerful about showings, they find ways to break around those obstacles and cause the cause their love to flow into our lives. And so it's, it is it's the attitude of saying what you want the most is what God longs so much to give.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He wants us to just... Come home, mm. and to uh, to allow those obstacles or that insecurity or those um, grievances to mm-hmm. be removed. And it's it is possible. There's a terrible freedom in choice. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most profound books I think that addresses this is C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, mm. where group of people who are living in hell have the opportunity on a regular basis, if they choose, to take a bus into the foothills of heaven Mm -hmm. where they are met by people they know, people who are now people of the light, people of the kingdom. And each of the people are contacted by somebody that they know and invited to stay and to enter into this kingdom of light and hope and newness and joy. Every single one of them, but one, present a grievance for why they would rather live in the freedom of hell than in heaven where God is in charge, because they don't like him. Yep. So we, we acknowledge that we can hold on to a grievance and demand to be heard, as Job started out doing in um, his book with his lament, having lost so much. But the movement is toward God finding, he, I think he is in an extended conversation with every single one of us. Mm. Just like he was with Julian, he's in an extended conversation. And he's inviting us to shift our attention away from our grievance to be able to receive what he longs to give.
2: <laughs>
1: so, you know, it's Julian's temptation, I, I guess, is part of my answer to this. Julian's temptation was to focus on what she'd lost. And Jesus was inviting her to, to enter into the God who was longing to surround her with hope and light and bring her home.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, tie this in for me because this was so much more than Julian having some questions answered and having a an kind of emotional experience or knowledge, but tie this into formation and how these experiences helped shape her more into the image of Christ.
1: So that's a good question, because Julian was already had a habit before she fell ill of going to church. Mm -hmm. And because she was so familiar with what the teaching was, we know that she also read scripture. Mm -hmm. So she was familiar with scripture. That's part of the dialogue. She was um, a person of prayer because she was conversing and saying, I, I really need to understand. And the powerful thing about showings is that God met her in her questions. <laughs> he didn't deny her questions. He didn't say, well, a faithful person wouldn't ever doubt. He, The first thing he did is identified completely with suffering, met her in suffering. That's what the bread of the Eucharist is. He meets us in suffering and then transfuses us with his life. Mm-hmm. And so he, she was already seeking a relationship. She already had questions, and they were standing questions, and Jesus met her there. After she had this experience, she went to the bishop and requested to be enclosed in an anchor hold, Now, there were two um, convents in Norwich, but she would not be eligible to be in either one of those had she been married. So that's another thing that leads us to think that she probably had been married and had lost her family.
0: When you say an anchor hold...
1: An anchor hold is a little building that that was built onto the side of the church in town, the Catholic church in town. It had a little window into the chancel area so she could participate in worship, and she could participate in the sacraments. She could receive the sacraments. Mm -hmm. There was another window that opened up to the street, so that people could come by and talk with her, and she lived out the rest of her life in there. She did not leave the anchor hold. Mm -hmm. She spent her days praying. She spent her days reading scripture. She spent her days reflecting on the truth that Jesus had revealed to her, through the showings, and that's when she wrote the longer version, which is sort of a commentary on the short version, which it would be like notes. You sit down and you jot down, all right, what did I see? What did I learn? This happens to be my favorite of the Revelations of Divine Love because it puts both of them together and it has an annotation on the side to help you understand what was going on.
0: Ah, Give us the, the, the publisher and...
1: Um, by Paraclete Press, and the it's called The Complete Julian of Norwich because it combines the short version and the long version into one. Mm-hmm. And the author is Father John Dash Julian. Um,
0: his last name is Julian?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, often people do this. When they go into a, into a monastery or a convert, they take a name, um. and he took the name of, of Julian as his... Uh, patron saint oh
0: okay
1: and he's a scholar julian scholar i don't know what his original name was
0: yeah so she you know this one experience she had then set the trajectory for her entire life essentially
1: yeah because she she understood that jesus was inviting her into a perspective of reality from which to view and interpret everything else. Mm-hmm. So instead of interpreting it from the bottom, from a place of suffering and dismay and loss and and confusion, Jesus lifted her to say, "Let me show you what's really going on here." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you when we talk about formation, Nathan, that's an excellent question. We are called to live today as we will for all eternity in God's heaven. Mm-hmm. We are citizens of God's kingdom already, and the kingdom of God is present now. So what Jesus was helping Julian to do was to frame all of her experience, the questions, the suffering, the death, the hope, the life, the relationships, the love, all of it in the context of God's kingdom that's already up and running. (laughs) So what does it look like for us to live as free people in Alcatraz? Mm. (laughs) you know so here we are in prison we're wearing the orange suits we have a number for a name and now he comes to us and he says you are my beloved you are a citizen of the kingdom you have a name Mm -hmm. now go live there in that knowledge Mm -hmm. knowing that all of this is within the, the scope and the grasp of God's abiding eternal love and his redemption how can God redeem your cell right there? And how will that change the relationships with the people around you? Mm, that's good. So that's, that's a way maybe to think about it because we're not off Alcatraz. We will be at one point when all of that will just be a memory, if anything. Mm-hmm. But currently we are living as free, redeemed people of the light in, very, in a very dark place. Mm-hmm. That reality, at, Paul calls it, filling up the suffering of Christ. Mm-hmm. We're, we're now colonizing, we're establishing a colony of God's kingdom right where we are. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you see indication that in the midst of this horrific environment Julian was in, that she found joy and found a way to live into these pictures and the mystery of God's love?
1: Well, I imagine her sitting in the anchor hold for 20 years, writing, mm-hmm. taking her notes, the initial notes, and then praying about it, and Jesus continued to unfold the meaning in it. Mm-hmm. So I imagine her getting up in the morning and and going to the window to the church with the people that came to worship and, and with the officiant, the priest, and worshiping and praying and singing and listening to the words of the day, receiving communion through that little window, going back and spending time next to her bed in prayer, and thanking Jesus for his mercy and love. And then going and sitting by the window, and people would come by, and they'd just say, this is what's going on in my family right now, or this is what's happening with my spouse, or this is going on with my business. Where is God in it? And Julian would just smile and say, right in the middle of it. (laughs) Because he feels about you the way you feel about the people you love. And you do anything for them, and that's how he feels about you. So she would talk about Scripture, and she'd give hope. It all poured out. She didn't just sit in this little room writing for 20 years. She was communicating hope and peace and love. And one day, when the manuscript was finally complete... She passed it out the window to some trusted person, and they carried it away. Mm. And at that point, she just said, I release it. May this be a blessing to someone else, as it's been a blessing to me. May it bring light in the midst of darkness and hope even in the midst of tears.
0: Uh, oh, that's so good. That's so good.
1: So formation formation is is learning to watch for... And be alert to epiphanies, where God is present right now, and we practice that. And the disciplines, the practices are ways that we that we focus our eyes, as Jesus told Julian, on what he has said is true. And we hold the questions lightly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we pray, and we spend time in Scripture, and we talk with one another the way that we are here today. And we say, this is what I am struggling with. This is what he has said. And I'm asking him for the grace to rele- release my attachments to those things so that I can inhabit this space of of hope.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. I, I love this picture. I think it's so relevant for us of the anchor hold. One window where we're going and receiving and being filled up, a space where we're diligent with prayer and study, and then another window where we give Forn away.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Born mm-hmm. out. Exactly. So I, I, for me, Julian is, she's got it going. You know? <laughs> she's, a, she's a picture of um, what does this look like to be alert and aware to what, alert and, and attentive, I guess, to what God is doing and, to be a beacon of hope. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people came by Julian's anchor hold and she wasn't isolated from humanity. She was still part of community. Mm -hmm. She was in this place, as you just said, kind of standing in the gap between the grace and mercy of God pouring out and being able to put words around that for people in a culture where people were afraid of God Mm -hmm. God thought very much of humanity at all. She helped people understand that the opposite is the truth, that he's pouring into us, he's leaning into us, he's running after us, he's waiting for us. Mm. He loves us. Revelations of divine love, not divine wrath.
0: Mm. That's great. Well, Mimi, thank you so much for your sharing your... Study and learning experience with Julian. Uh, It's very helpful.
1: Thank you, Nathan. She's a friend to us all. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, indwelling Holy Spirit, thank you so much that you just wouldn't put up with being separated from us, and you won't put up with it when we think in our own hearts or minds that we're separated from you somehow that you're the kind of person that just keeps looking for us and running to us and calling to us and reaching out to us and holding us and reassuring us. Thank you that there is absolutely nothing that we need fear. Thank you that we are completely enclosed in the circle of your life and your love and that nothing at all can get in to harm us or pull us away. Thank you that your love is one that already is part of our experience and that we'll have all eternity to enjoy this increase of our capacity to experience more and more of you. And Lord, right now, we're aware that this is the only chance that we have to do something that's going to cost us. This is the only time that we're ever going to be in an environment where it's hard and where we cry and where we wonder and when we where we question and we, right now, we, we are so grateful, so deeply grateful for a community of like-minded companions that help us to remember what's true, even when it's dark. And who give us the capacity to continue to turn to you and to run to you. So, Lord, we would be people of freedom, people of light, people of hope. In this world where we live, that where it seems like it's getting darker every day, we feel like this is our opportunity to to live out the reality of our commitment that you are enough and that we all we want is you. All we want is to be part of your kingdom purposes. So, Lord, give us the courage, even as Julian prayed for, the courage to live these days in the light of what we know is coming. May all we do honor you, for this is the cry of our heart. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.
0: Well, there you have it. I so love learning from Mimi. As Mimi mentioned, Julian's short version is titled Revelations of Divine Love, and the long version is simply titled Showings. These are tough texts. They take patience, but mm, good stuff in there. Mimi has been the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Golden, Colorado for the last 32 years and is a member of the Renovari Board. There was a particular Julian quote that's been sticking with me for almost a year. We've put together a podcast retreat based on this quote, a guided prayer, a meditation of sorts, and it's been scored musically by Josh Banner. We're releasing this next week and so excited to share this with you. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.